0: you would take your Bibles, open with me please to Romans 1. Going through series, because of the alarm of our current state of affairs, especially in our nation. <clears throat> From this point forward, I want to make sure and prepare you that I'm probably going to have some images that are going to show on the screen that are going to unsettle you. I don't see any reason why we can't show them because it's everything that we're seeing through our news feeds anyway. But I think as Christians, one of the worst things we can do is be uninformed. How can the truth of God's word get beyond the walls of the church if we are not sure how to apply them? So I'm going to show you three things here, and I'm going to ask you right or wrong about these. Mitch, let's go to the first one. I would suppose that this is a group of college girls. Wild guess, right? With shirts on that say, my body, my choice. I'm also going to presume, which that's never safe, but I'm going to, that none of them have ever been pregnant. But that's okay because parasites don't have rights. Right or wrong. How about the next one? Vision Church in Atlanta has just added a psychic medium to their ministerial staff because she wants to exercise her spiritual gift. And she is very excited about getting some of the tenets of Afro-spiritualism into the congregation for their encouragement. Right or wrong? Okay? Let me set up this last one for you. This man's name is Representative John Rogers, and he was recorded in a hearing, he's from Alabama, he was recorded in a hearing saying, you either kill them now or you kill them later. You either kill these babies now if they're not wanted, or they grow up, cost taxpayers a lot of money, end up going to prison, feeding off the system, system's already overrun, send them to the electric chair. So take a choice. You either kill them before they come out or you kill them when they're full grown and cost us a lot of money and we'll kill them then. And so Donald Trump Jr. decided that he would make a comment condemning his comments. And so now if you listen very closely, you're going to hear the interviewer ask him, what do you think about the comments? Donald Trump Jr. has made about your statements of kill them now or kill them later. Let's play that, Mitch. Earlier today, Donald Trump Jr. condemned your comments. Do you have a response to I, I, the I, president's I, 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 son? Hey, that's an honor. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. did that. Thank God. Right on. That's definitely you know been right. Because I don't know nothing. he's been right on since he's been here. That proved... The right to make a decision about abortion. Him being born, that's proof the right to That's a very good defense I have for abortion, right to him. Let look at him and say, one of you should have aborted him when he was born. He would have made that stupid statement, right? So, so his parents made a decision for him. Uh, that's a decision he made for him. So that's the first proof I got that Mother Royale had a right to have abortion. I have. They made a decision to have him, didn't they? They could have aborted him. But they made a decision to keep him. Because he's evidently uh, retarded. Uh, crazy. Donald Trump said, hey, I, th- I know he's something wrong with that boy. I look at him and tell something wrong with him. He said, hey, hey that's, a, that's the best defense I got for abortion right there, looking at him. One of the greatest things that proves his stance on abortion is the fact that Donald Trump Jr. exists. He's a primary advertisement for the fact that some people should be aborted. Because he's either crazy or retarded. Right or wrong how do you know see i think it's important for us to sit here and think about we can look at something we can become morally disturbed by it we can say ethically this is wrong but my question is is how do you know because let's be honest with this last gentleman is this not his opinion i mean i would go as far as to say yeah it's his opinion it's a satanic opinion But is this not his opinion? So what makes you right and him wrong? Or what makes him right and you wrong? Here's how we know. Because you always have to ask the question, who is the authority in this situation? Where does the authority lie? America has been painted in such a way as to where they would like all of us to believe that the authority lies in the government. Our own money doesn't even say that. Would anybody like that maybe if we changed it? In Congress we trust. I don't know that that money will spend. But I tell you who'll spend it, Congress. Right? How do we know that this is wrong? Let's take each case. number one, the unborn are humans and created in God's image Genesis 1 verses 26 through28. yes God has spoken authoritatively on that subject. Second instance of hiring a psychic on the ministerial staff of a church in Atlanta. the church is to have nothing to do with sorcery for God has no harmony with Belial nor believers with unbelievers second Corinthians 615. Has God spoken authoritatively on that matter? He has. How about this last gentleman and what he had to say about Donald Trump Jr. being a prime advertisement for the reason why we should have abortion in our country? Proverbs 10.18, He who spreads slander is a fool. This man that you saw on the screen in front of you is a fool. The Bible calls him a fool. The word uses the word fool. Don't be scared of that word. Because what we have is pagan ideology successfully being encouraged throughout all of our country. I'm not happy about it. God's not pleased with it. The whole reason why we're going through this is because Romans is about how do you avoid The presently revealed passive wrath of God. And the answer is, you live by faith. That's how that happens. God is not pleased with sin. And because God has spoken, He has put forth a standard. Now I want to give that standard a name. Look at chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. If you notice in the seat around you, you've got a card. This is our memory verse. We're going to memorize the front part. Well, that's a blank card. <laughs> My memory verse just got real easy for this month. Ah, here we go. We're going to memorize verse 16 on the front for this month, and then for July, we're going to memorize 17 on the back. It's summer, I'm looking to take it easy on everybody. But let's read through this and look at it. Verse 16 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in, and what is it? The gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Last week, we looked at the power of God, or the fact that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The second attribute we want to pay attention to is the idea of God's righteousness. In fact, I have a good quote I want to share with you real quick. If you want, look at the screen. God is an invisible, personal, and living spirit, distinguished from all other spirits by several kinds of attributes. Metaphysically, God is self-existent, eternal, and unchanging. Intellectually, God is omniscient, faithful, and wise. Ethically, God is just, merciful, and loving. Emotionally, God detests evil, is long-suffering, and is compassionate. Existentially, God is free, authentic and omnipotent. Relationally, God is transcendent in being, eminent universally in providential activity, and eminent with his people in redemptive activity. All of life is theology. All of it. There are some people who want to consider that the time that they deal with God is when they come to church on Sunday. We have a term for that. It's called denial. God is all the time and when we are faced with a decision, when we are faced with a stance, the reason why we can morally assert that something is wrong or right, it reveals our deepest convictions about who God is and what he has said and what we believe or how much stock we put in what he's had to say in his inerrant, infallible word. Isn't this the reason why at family gatherings you don't talk about religions or politics, right? Right? Why do you think that is? The reason no one wants you to talk about politics and religion is because it reveals your deepest convictions. And when you start believing something seriously, people get uncomfortable. You can be Christian, just don't be a fundamentalist. Anybody know the definition of fundamentalist? It's somebody who actually believes that the Bible is the Word of God and authoritative in everything. In other words, it's a New Testament Christian. That's what a fundamentalist is. But don't share that with me. Don't push your God on me. Well, be careful now. Not everybody thinks that way. Anybody ever stop to think that maybe everybody else is wrong? And maybe God is right. Well, you can't say that. You have to be more tolerant well this is my opinion how come you're not tolerant of me how come you're not tolerant of god if he's the creator of all things doesn't he have the beginning and end statement of every issue he does notice we have an authority problem that's the problem in our nation god has spoken and people are living in denial The righteousness of God. I've encouraged you to take your books that I've given you, these sermon booklets, to to fill things out. If you need one, raise your hand. Pete looks ready, willing, and able. He can help pass some out to you if you would like one to document notes. But I've asked you to take the second sermon that's listed there and divide up the pages so you can record some things about each attribute. And so after your listing of the power of God, I'm going to ask you to write down about the righteousness of God. Number one, righteousness is a standard. When we talk about the fact that God is righteous, it is a standard. It is not just the idea that God practices righteousness or the things that he says and establishes are righteous. It's the fact that he himself in his being is righteous. And anything that he does in history... Is directly reflective of a righteous decision because God will never operate apart from the person he is. Or let me say it a different way God's not fake, he's not a hypocrite. He doesn't act one way and put on another mask. There's this belief going around that God has two wills. One is a revealed will, and the other one is a secret will. In his revealed will, he wants everyone to be saved. But in his secret will, he only wants a few people to be saved. That's called a liar. That is a lie from Satan. And it directly infringes upon the very person of who God is. God cannot be righteous and have mixings with sin. He does not condone it. Otherwise, his righteousness becomes useless in meaning. So what I want to do is I want to walk us through some passages that deal with his righteousness and then talk about how does the fact that God is righteous and what he's declared as righteous directly have bearing upon you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to go to this. You might want to write it down. But I think it's good with the current subject that we're dealing with over the next few weeks to really think about this. Proverbs 14. Mitch, can you bring it up on the screen? If you want to just write it down. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. Does anybody think that America needs some exalting? How's that going to happen? There's only one path. Righteousness. And notice it's not self-righteousness. We've got enough self-righteousness in this country to gag on it. It's God's righteousness. It is knowing our God and falling down before Him. Submitting ourselves to Him. Lord, Adonai, Master, you are right. I am so, so wrong. I don't know if you guys have recognize this in fact i thought it was a kind of humorous i didn't realize it until yesterday june is pride month gay pride month targets all out for promoting it pride pride what does the bible say about pride it's bad isn't it we wonder why our nation can't seem to get ahead we wonder why we feel threatened by our surroundings sometimes the reason is, is because there's only one thing that exalts a nation, and that's the righteousness of God. And until the nation, just like Israel, submits to the righteousness of God, God will not enact His power or blessing on this nation. Scary place. Notice the alternative. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Or the Kentucky translation says, don't matter who y'all. Y'all, and y'alls, y'alls, It's bad. That's the idea. Which side of that proverb do you think we're on? How about this? Take your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 7. The Bible is replete with information about God's righteousness. But for the sake of keeping us all together, I tried to stay predominantly in the Psalms. I want us to start in verse 11, a declaration of David, and there's a lot more I really wanted to cover on this, but I'm trying to be respectful of time. I'm already a habitual offender as it is. Verse 11, what kind of judge is God? He is a righteous God, an Elohim who has indignation every day. Or let me give you a more plain rendering of that word indignation. It's actually the Hebrew word for wrath. Isn't that what Romans 1.18 says? For the wrath of God is being revealed against un- all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. His wrath is revealed every day. This isn't a new concept in Romans 1. This is a concept as old as the Psalms. God's wrath is revealed against sin. Notice it says here, verse 12, if a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword, judgment. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. In fact, right there, it's important for you to realize the change in perspective that David brings here because when he starts verse 14, he starts talking about mankind's placement so those first two sections there are God's placement verse 14 behold he travails with wickedness obviously that's not God and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood that's not God that's representative of us He has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own pate. And a pate is the crown of his head is the idea. I will give thanks, verse 17, I will give thanks to Yahweh according to his, what is it? Righteousness. However righteous God is, even though all mankind is going in this terrible direction, it's all swirling around the drain, heading downward. I am going to make the choice in my life to give thanks to God according to, there's your measurement, His righteousness. What does the word righteousness mean? I'm not going to dare pronounce it. If you want to know afterwards, ask Pastor Steve. But let me give you the transliteration of it. You could spell it with English S-E-D-E-Q. That's how fun Hebrew is for me. Okay? S-E-D-E-Q. And here's what this word righteousness means in Hebrew. It means accuracy. It means very plainly what is correct. It means the right thing. It means what is honest or what is, and I thought this was very interesting. What is just, notice the idea of being just and the idea of exercising justice is closely related to righteousness, but it's not just this. I thought this was extremely interesting in the Hebrew lexicon. It actually has the idea of what is normal. Now, think about that for a second God's righteousness is just what is normal, it should be the norm. It is the correct standard. It is the moral standard of which God has put forward. It has the idea of justice connected to it. See, God can't condone sin. Anything that is considered in the category of sin, we know one thing about it it's less than righteousness. Would you agree? So anything less than God's standard of righteousness is sin. Therefore, because it's less than God himself, he cannot approve of it. Instead, he has to decisively deal with it. And because it is not correct, it has to be corrected. Everybody see that, yes? Okay, I'm going to make a real big deal about God's righteousness so that we can walk away with at least some sliver of the idea of being in awe of of his righteousness. The end of verse 17. And I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh Elyon, Lord Most High. God, when he judges, and he judges the wickedness and the schemes of people, his creation, he does so in righteousness. How about this? Turn over to Psalm 11. Start in verse 4. Psalm 11. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. Yahweh tests the righteous and the wicked. Both. And the one who loves violence. Now pay attention, guys. His soul hates. You think we live in a culture of violence? What does that tell you about God's viewpoint? towards the culture he hates it now here's an interesting thing i think this is important to say because what we saw earlier some of the topics that we're going to deal with and address number 1 realize that none of us are beyond that point as soon as we come up with a self-righteous attitude of well that's them that's not us we've just declared ourselves personally guilty according to romans chapter 2 verse 1 okay So we cannot afford to ride the gospel high horse and look down upon other people. They need Jesus just as much as we need Jesus every single moment of every breath I take. Okay? But I think it is also important for us to recognize that because of God's word, it has given us clear parameters to discern what is correct and what is abnormal, what is wrong. In fact, remember this from the Foundational Framework series. When God created, he created everything perfect, right? Everything was in accord with his righteousness. It was the introduction of sin that brought death and created this period of abnormality that we currently live in. How do we know that to be true? Because at the end, he's coming back. And when he comes back... He lays down all opposition. He defeats every enemy and he establishes his kingdom in righteousness and he will rule with righteousness. I don't know about you. I'm pretty jazzed about that. And because of our current abnormal situation, it makes me happy about it. It's going to get better when he comes. In fact, it's going to get perfect. That's exciting. That's hopeful. Now, just because I have that joyous conviction about God's word being true, and yes, I do serve a God that judges evil, doesn't mean that I have to be a jerk when I communicate it to other people. No one was one to the Lord with a Louisville slugger. That is not an effective witnessing tool. We point them to the cross, not our opinions. And we do so lovingly, And graciously, why? Because God loves them too. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think because the disagreement is so sharp or the opinions are so stark in contrast that we forget that God is someone who loves people. He sent Jesus to die for people. Jesus Christ takes the death for every person. These are important tenets that we can't afford to miss out on. So I think that's important to just interject that right there. But yeah, those who love violence has no problem judging them. Why? Because if you're someone who loves violence, you have chosen to love violence, you are personally responsible for those actions. That's why the gospel call is a call to believe in one better who had to take care of the problem that you have. He's a savior. How about verse six? Upon the wicked, he will rain snares, fire and brimstone and burning Wind. I thought this was interesting. A literal translation of burning wind is a breath of horrors. That's frightening. But that's the judgment that wickedness deserves. Notice it says here, burning wind will be the portion of their cup. It's what they deserve to partake of. Verse 7, why is that? For Yahweh is, what? He's righteous. And I thought this was great. He loves... Righteousness. Now, if you have a marginal note, you'll notice that it says over there, He loves righteous deeds. We would actually say the literal translation is, He loves righteousnesses. We would pluralize righteousness. He loves it when people operate in righteous ways. When they are seeking to conduct righteous lives. That's the kind of thing that gets God's attention. That's the kind of thing that brings His blessing. Notice after that. The upright will behold his face. That's a beautiful reward. If you are living upright, and the reason why you would do so is in relationship to his righteousness, he wants to reward that. Here's two important things I think that it's important to see. God's righteousness doesn't just stand on its own. It is connected to two other attributes necessarily so. Number one, his holiness. Because God is righteous, He lives far above and beyond. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So He is wholly other than everything that you and I would consider normal. Well, that's just the way that it is. Let me ask you a question. Is it normal for a young guy and a young gal to move in together before they get married? Is that normal by the world standards? Yes, it is. Is it normal according to God's standards? No. Well, we just have to see if we're compatible. Denial. God said don't do it. Let me ask you a question. If you worship the same God and you have the same Savior, don't you think you'd be pretty compatible? The reason why your marriage doesn't work out is because of selfishness, which is nothing that God called us to as spouses. He called us to selflessness. So notice, a lot of those initial problems and confusion and worries about getting into a marriage relationship, oh, then I'd actually have to commit. You're sharing rent. Backwards. Unrighteousness. So it's necessarily connected to his holiness. He is set apart completely different. And that's why his standard is set apart from everything that the world has accepted as an acceptable standard. It's not acceptable to God. Well, you don't understand. We marched on Washington, and I had my my picket sign ready to go. And we printed up t-shirts, and we got signed petitions, and you know what? They passed it into law. Doesn't make it right. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean that it's profitable. And if your justification for the reason of it being legal is the reason why it should be commonly accepted by everybody, you've just revealed your God to be at the White House. The government is not our God. Yahweh, Elohim, is our God. He has a name. Jesus Christ is our God. The Holy Spirit is our God. We won't take God's substitutes. And here's the reason why. Because that's what pagans do. Pagans look for the God substitute in order to normalize unrighteousness. So let's not pretend that it's acceptable by any means just because somebody signed off on it and made it into law. It's not. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that. The second thing that it's attached to, not just his holiness, but his immutability. And you spell that, I am mutability. Or if you want to write this down, the fact that God is never changing. He never changes. He's always the same. Or let's say it this way. You don't have to worry about God having a certain set of expectations for our lives on one day and then wake up the next day and He's changed them. God doesn't change. As you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, He reveals more of who He is. But he was always totally who he is in the book of Revelation that he was in Genesis. He just understood that we couldn't handle all that information in the beginning. So by his grace, he progressively revealed himself through Scripture so that as we move forward from the Old Testament into the New Testament, beginning to end, we would be able to take in more of him in pieces. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time handling God in pieces. Much less him trying to reveal all of it at the same time. So his immutability, because he never changes, his standard of righteousness never changes. That's important. Anybody interested in Greek mythology? They were always changing their standards back then. One day a God wanted this, the next day he wanted this, the next day he was going after this. You want to look at him and go, make up your mind, guys. It is hard to serve a God that is fluid and always changing. Because God is the creator, He is holy, He is above all other things and set apart, He does not change. How about Psalm 19? And I want to show you this because I want to point out two points. Number one, about God's law. Number two, about people try to pigeonhole Jesus' words. Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are what? Right. And what can the precepts of Yahweh, because they are right, do to us? Notice what it says. Rejoicing the heart. Pause for a second. Let's have a devotional moment. Come up and sit on Uncle Jeremy's lap. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time your heart rejoiced because God's word was true? When's the last time you look at this and you just went, I am looking at the words of the living God it's right because it's right it causes something in my inner being to want to jump is your Christianity like that if not what's keeping you from jumping what's keeping that rejoicing from bubbling over and becoming the vibrant life of Christ that it should be We need to think about it guys because this is telling us factual information about what God's Word is able to do. Is it doing it in our lives? How about the next one? The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes, no defilement. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring how long? Love it. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. Notice the connection between truth and righteousness. They're always right what god has to say on a matter is always right some people want to say this well i don't recall jesus saying anything about that in the gospels jesus doesn't have anything to say about this particular subject you know what that tells you about their convictions they, they haven't read very far <laughs> need to expand your reading here you go they don't believe jesus christ is god Or they believe that Jesus had an opinion that was different from God's in the Old Testament about a subject. Or they would say that if we're going to claim that the Word of God was inspired, well, that can't be true. So therefore, they deny the inspiration of the Scriptures, they deny the nature of the Trinity. Now that's real easy to conjure that argument so that you don't have to deal with a standard regarding sin. Or let me put it this way to get a little bit more familiar with her. That's a way to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Cover it up. Rationalize it. Bring my logic to the table. Logic. God-given gift so that we could better understand him, and we turn around and we use it to diffuse the power of his word to give us better and more satisfying, joy-filled lives. Notice, it's a God problem. It's a righteousness problem. How about this? Uh Uh-oh, I didn't write down where I'm going next. We'll go for it. Psalm 89. I was right. I'm using note cheats. I'm putting little post-its in my Bible to help. I've never done that before. Bear with me. I'm a fragile human being. Psalm 89. I appreciate this passage because it connects God's righteousness with His justice. Notice verse 11. It says, The heavens are yours the earth also is yours the world and all it contains you have founded them the north and the south you've created them tabor and hermon which by the way those are mountains those are mountains that were listed there shout for joy at your name You have a strong arm, your hand is mighty, your right hand is exalted. And here it is, guys, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The Hebrew word for justice, it's spelled M-I-S-P-A-T, M-I-S-P-A-T. You want to know how it's pronounced? Pastor Steve's in the back. Judgment is what it means, or it means the act of deciding a case. In other words, God deciding upon a situation is in perfect harmony with his righteousness and therefore because it's in perfect harmony, it's always true, it's unchanging, and it's always right. Does everybody see why this has to be necessarily connected together? Yes. Notice the ownership of the heavens and the earth are due to the fact that he is the creator and we are the creatures. Holy. He is set apart. He is otherwise different, and yet he is personal because he has made his ways known to you and I. I thought this was a good quote. His justice is his official righteousness. He, his requirement that other moral agents adhere to the same standards as well. God is, in other words, like a judge who as a private individual adheres to the laws of society and is in his official capacity administers the same law applying it to others. He's completely consistent. He is never requiring a different standard of righteousness for certain people. God accepts a righteousness like his own. And that is the only righteousness that he accepts. Does everyone understand that? God's righteousness is perfect. And so when he demands upon the human race that they be righteous, that they come into a right standing with him. He is demanding that we all have his righteousness. Now, does that sound daunting? Do you now see the value in the cross? Okay, so do me a favor. In in respect for time, turn back with me to Romans 1. If you want more on this subject, I encourage you to study Jeremiah 23. But... In the interest of time, back to Romans 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, made known, fully exposed. It's manifested. In other words, it eliminates all questions about what righteousness is, but it gives you some little parameters there that we might easily go over and not think about. And watch it. From faith to faith. Does everybody see this? Is he saying i got to believe in him twice? No. So what in the world does it mean? Take your Bibles and turn over to Romans 3. Romans 3. I want you to look at verse 21. Now what we just read in the Psalms, is the law the righteousness of God? It is. The law is his righteousness written out for us to read. That's what God's law looks like in written form. But notice what this verse says. But now, apart from the law, stop, is the law righteous? Yeah, in fact, God's not commanding anything, the law, that he's not of himself. So watch this. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, there it is, mark it, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now isn't this the same thing that we saw in chapter 1, verse 17? Yes, it's been revealed. It's the same thing. Everybody stay with me. Who's asleep? Do we need to do some charismatic glory calisthenics right now? Somebody get your glory fan out and wave it. Good grief. Stick with me. This is good stuff. We're talking about a righteous God. And we're talking about how you are righteous. And it's all because of him and what he's done. Now watch this. It's now been made manifest, watch, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament told us about this righteousness being manifested. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith, there's your channel, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Jesus Christ does the work to pay for the debt that we have incurred By our sin, not just sins by nature and being born into this world, but sins because we can't stop sinning. We are sinners apart from Him. Don't believe me? What's your last week look like? Everybody, keep everybody, everybody, start number one. Everybody would have to wear pocket shirts, okay? But then everybody, keep you a little notepad in there. Get you out a pen. Take a Grace Bible Church pen and write down your sins every day. There's not enough ink, especially in our pens. I'm a little sad about the quality of them sometimes. <laughs> I've thrown a couple away lately. Word comes to my mind is refund. But anyway, <laughs> writing down our sins, keeping track of our sins. What do you think that look like in one day? Good grief! Yeah, I need a notebook. I need college rule, trapper keeper. Anybody do trapper keepers anymore? Love trapper keepers. I was in grade school. Anyway. Another another subject. But, the righteousness of God, it's now revealed through faith in Christ Jesus. When he died, he died for one day of sins, and two days of sins, and three days of sins, and all sin, all time, ever committed by anyone ever that existed, past, present, future, does not matter. Jesus' work on the cross was so righteous in his life as someone who upheld the law of God. He upheld the righteous reflection and revelation of God perfectly that no charge could be brought against him. And then he dies a sinner's death. Why? So that the righteousness of God would be a possibility for you and I. What is the gospel message? believe believe because when you exercise faith when you are convinced you have the conviction that jesus christ's work on the cross and his resurrection has taken care of your sin problem because i hear what i shouldn't hear and see what i shouldn't see and touch what i shouldn't touch he takes care of that sin problem and therefore he connects a pathway a channel to the righteous work of God and to the sinful, destitute, cobweb-filled, gross account of my personal righteousness, which is nothing and fully deserving of an eternity in the lake of fire. Therefore, when everyone looks in my account, they see his righteousness. Do you realize that when, now, no, I know you, I like you, do you realize that when God sees me, he sees me as perfect? I know. I'm going to take it easy on Tom this week. (laughs) I look really good to God. I know. And here's the biggest secret in the room. You do too. Stop and think for a second. Because of Jesus. It's not because, well, Lord, I I did this. You know, I, I wanted to do these things. I saw these people that needed some help. And so I wrote out this check for this thing. And I wanted to really get involved. And I really wanted to teach Sunday school and all things that we definitely need, right? but none that make you righteous there is nothing to earn with god because all has been earned for you someone did all the work and handed you the keys I said here it is it's yours it's yours am i righteous in and of myself no But at the moment I heard the gospel message and believed in Christ, God put on Jesus-colored glasses and that's the way He always sees me. He no longer calls me a sinner. He calls me a son. Why is that? Because of my righteousness? No! I have none before Him! But because by faith I've been hooked into the righteousness that Jesus has fully provided. I don't deserve to be there but because I have God's righteousness. Not a righteousness like God's. There is no other righteousness but God's righteousness. Because I have God's righteousness on me. He accepts me fully. Fully. Never cast me away. I can never lose the life that he has blessed me with. Never. Now, that is from faith. Romans 1.17 That's our justification. What does that look like for our sanctification? Turn over to Romans 5. The gift just got better. He's not just content with justifying us. Do you realize that your Father in Heaven wants to sanctify you? He wants you walking hand in hand and heart experience with Him every day. This is a reason why I ask, does God answer your prayers? God answering prayers that you lift up to him is an excellent indicator of your fellowship experience. Now, does he answer every prayer? No. Why is that? Because a lot of times we ask for silly things. He still hasn't given me the DeLorean out in my driveway. Okay? Unfortunately, no. Because I would go back to the future in it. But anyway. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 17. Yes, I'm that guy. Verse 17. Look at this. Now, I'm going to quiz you on this. You're going to know this. Just say it out loud. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, who was the one who transgressed initially? Adam was. So notice, when Adam transgressed, death enters into the picture, and now death reigns. Death rules. No one escapes the dominance of death because of Adam's desire to do what he wanted to do, Instead of doing what God called him to do. Now watch this. Much more. So we're automatically much more. That's better terms, okay? Much more. Those who receive. Now here's the thing. You have to receive it. It's not just given to you. Somebody wants to make the claim sometimes, well, we're all God's children. Not if you're not in Christ. You are not God's child. You are at rebellion with God. You do not have peace with him. You have not been forgiven of sin. It's a problem. You do not have eternal life. So this is why the necessity of Jesus, he's got to be front and center to everything that we do. We have got to get rid of secret church mentality that we think is popular to gain people. The church is not about growing people. It's about having a sanctified people that adore and love their Christ so that he can work powerfully through them. It's about people walking with their God. That's what it's about. So now watch this, okay? Much more, having received it, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. Does everybody see that that's future? Does everybody see that it's future? Yes, no? Okay, you see it. It's something that can happen. It's a possibility for your life. If you will receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of His grace, you will reign. Notice this. In life, through one, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one through whom we reign because he's the one who makes it possible. Now guys, this isn't talking about your justification. This is talking about you accepting the abundantly gracious gift of righteousness in living your life. Living by faith. What has God said? How am I living? And where does it need to be corrected? Why? Because God told me the truth. Because only he sets the standard of righteousness. Because he's going to operate in goodness. Because his standard never changes. Because he's altogether holy. And if I'm his child, I need to emulate him more than the world. Shame on the church for using worldly tactics to try to gain people. That is a man's manipulation of trying to enact holy things. People are not won by schemes. People are won by seeing their need for a savior for us going to them in love and telling them the seriousness of not just their sin, but our sin. And how desperately we needed Christ. And how Jesus has died to save them as well. So let's get this whole idea of we're running a three-ring circus of holiness out of the way. People are not one to that mess. Notice it says here, verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Who was the transgressor? Adam, and it happens to all of us, right? All men. That's you and me's. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Because Jesus died on the cross, justification is now made available to everybody. But watch where he goes with it. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, who's that? Adam. The many were made sinners. Even so... Through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus, the many, or all of us, will be made righteous. Now watch this. The law came in. What role does the law have in this process? The law came in so that the transgression would increase. It's one thing to be on stage and play an acoustic guitar. It's another thing to get up there with an electric guitar and crank it up to 11 as loud as it will go. That's what the law does. The law amplifies our sin. The law declares us sinful. Why? Because it's the revealed righteousness of God. Now watch what happens here. The law came in so that our sin, our transgression would increase. But where sin increased, oh, here it is, man. Write it down. Write it on your forehead so you can see it every day when you brush your teeth, okay? Here it is. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's always more grace. There's always more grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited, undeserving favor on people who should be in the lake of fire. He is giving abundantly above and beyond anything that we ever deserve. And He loves to do it lavishly, beautifully, wonderfully. There's always more. Oh, well, I've got so much sin, I can't come to God. No! That's a lie from the enemy because He doesn't want you to be there. You can't out God's grace. Otherwise, your destitution would be greater than God's righteousness. That's impossible. His righteousness is infinite. There's always more grace. Now, watch how he twists this here in a a good way. Verse 21, here's the reason. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign. Notice, it's a possibility that grace would reign. Reign, it's a possibility now, through righteousness, there it is, living a righteous life to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, God's grace reigns in the believer. It reigns in their life through Jesus Christ. When the believer lives by faith, righteousness no longer becomes just a standing of how God sees us, it becomes a state in which we operate. It's no longer a position before the Lord. It's a practice, a way of life. God's grace is abundant in providing that. From faith to faith. God wants the righteousness of his gospel, the very right standing of who he is, to not just coat us in getting us saved, but he wants us to go on getting saved so that we will be great reflections of his righteousness. You live by faith, you reign in life. Why is that? Because you're no longer under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is about suppressing unrighteousness. When you are living by faith, you are living in righteousness. Or let me say it this way, just to wake everybody up, because I see you nodding off. And it's not my deodorant, because I put it on today. God has an abundant life for you and I to live. It's yours. He's given it to you. You are accepted in the son he has already wiped out your past and he is already dealing with your present but he has paved a beautiful way for your future now it's already going to be great eternity with god even on the outskirts is going to be much better than being in the center of hell i don't care if people think ozzy is going to be there or not it ain't gonna be that good of a time he's going to burn too But we need to recognize that God is not satisfied with just getting us saved. Do you realize that? God has gone to great lengths to raise His Son from the dead. And in raising His Son, He desires for you and I to walk in that type of righteousness. His Son lives so that His Son can live through us. When his son walked out of the tomb, we walked out with him. You are living because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus wants to save every one of us from just living our life. He wants us to give, he wants to give us the opportunity. He has given us the opportunity to live a righteous life. Do you live a righteous life right now? Don't answer out loud, but think. Are you presently at this moment walking hand in hand with the Spirit of God? If not, what excuses is your heart offering up right now to justify why you're not walking in the Spirit? I'll tell you this, that's all sin. It is trying to come up with reasons why sin should be acceptable in this matter. Let me tell you something, God sees it. God sees it. And that's why God has things like this in his word to explain to us. Do you not realize there's a path of righteousness for you to walk on? And it's not about you doing better, trying harder, getting all your ducks in a row, those types of things. It's not about your personal effort. It's about something I've already fully supplied in my son. Trust him and let him lead you. Get out of his way and let him walk. Does that make sense? Is this a good thing? Guys, it's not just a good thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a God thing. It's a God thing that he desires to do in his people for his glory. Where's my boasting? Don't I get pats on the back for, for doing it? No, you're missing it. Because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. It's about him. Are you living this day for Pray with me, please. Father, no words can do justice to what your righteousness is. Father, we all need a deep drink to satisfy what is in us. And that could only be of your person, your righteousness, the fact that you are right, you are correct, you are normal, God, how desperately we need a dose of normal. Lord, maybe sinful things are being brought to our minds right now. I pray, God, the Spirit bring convicting work on us that You would reveal the unrighteousness that has set up shop in our hearts. Your grace is provided so much better than what we settle for. Your love calls us to so much higher. Your mercy is so much more abundant than what we think. Father, give us a glimpse of the inconceivable that a righteous, holy God has provided the same righteousness. doesn't just call us to be justified, but to live in that righteousness. Father, teach our hearts and minds what that means. I'm sure I've done a poor job of grasping that fact. May we be in awe of You our Creator and our Sustainer. Father, give us hearts that desire to worship truthfully in this moment. Help us to shun the things that we think are just and right and hold them to the light of Your Word so that they can be seen for the darkness that they are. Father, if we are walking in the light, let us turn to our brother and sister and love them and encourage them and call them to the light. To bear burdens with them, to desire for an abundant life, for them to be living in this moment. Father, make us agents of your righteousness. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.